Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Good morning, everyone. I almost missed my cue there. Thank you, Jamie, for <laughs> the second refrain to get me up here. So we have been in a series over the past two weeks talking about the things that we need to outgrow in order to walk in the fullness of life that God has for us, in order to commune with His Holy Spirit, have friendship with Him, and to go on the joy-filled journey that is knowing Christ. And so last week, Jamie aptly preached on anxiety and how we prayerfully overcome that in our lives. And this week, he's allowed me to add in a bonus topic to what you saw on the board last time, which is self-reliance. I think that self-reliance is our biggest obstacle to doing life with God, primarily because, one, it's always been there. The Garden of Eden is a primary example of where that starts. It's our sin nature but two, because it overwhelms us in culture. Everything you see around you, if it's not the church, tells you to work really hard, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and to get on with it. We're taught that the self-made man is really admirable. We celebrate people who seem to have the right words to know what to say, and the people who have it all together. But Christianity is being an absolute mess and being okay with that and allowing God to love you in the mess and allowing the church, the body of Christ, to love you in the mess. This is why I've chosen self-reliance to speak on today. And our verse for today, I, I'll tell you what, I had about... 30 verses. <laughs> and then we chose this one, which is John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the complete package of the Christian life. If we are to walk by God's Spirit, we have to be completely and utterly dependent upon Him, or else we can do nothing. That is, we can do nothing that benefits our own growth and our own fullness in Him, and nothing that brings Him glory. We could do other things, and we often do do other things on our own, kind of wandering from the vine, and we can tell what are some of the signs that we know we're not attached to the vine. We get exhausted, burdened by our own weakness, confused by not knowing where to turn or what to do next. We actually, without the presence of God, we can start to starve almost, like a plant without sun and water, just kind of slowly grow limper and limper until we feel powerless, frustrated, far from God. Because by nature, that is what self-reliance is. It's isolation. When Christianity is meant to be a relationship, 
It's a relationship with a God who's good. It's relationship with a body who's filled with his love and his gifts. But self-reliance goes, I can do this by myself. Why? Because we know everything I've just said, we are cognitively aware of. We understand it. So why are we self-reliant? Essentially, we have trust issues. We have trust issues. We all have them because of our past histories, because of experiences with people, because of perhaps things that we're not even fully aware of, but they're there. They're in our hearts, and we sometimes can't identify them until we start reaching that place of frustration and feeling far from God. So let's talk about the first trust issue, which is we don't fully trust that God is good. This is a big one. If God asked me to take a step of faith in something, the first thing I might do is catastrophize. What happens if such and such goes wrong? Why did you ask me to do this, God? It's so difficult. And I've immediately forgotten that if God has asked me to do it, his goodness is working through it. But as I mentioned earlier, this isn't a new problem. Genesis chapter 3 shows Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There is a tree with fruit that they're not supposed to eat. And the deceiving serpent seizes his opportunity in a moment where they're not communing with God, which is important. In a moment that they're not communing with God, he's able to plant doubt. And this is the Emily paraphrase. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden or this particular tree in the garden? And Eve goes, yes, actually, God said, do not eat of this tree and do not touch it lest you die. She knew the scriptural response. Cognitively, she could verbatim say what God had told them in response to the serpent. But in her heart, in a moment out of communion with God, the enemy could just plant a little seed of doubt. Well, you will not surely die. God is withholding this from you because it will make you wise like him. And that the idea that God is not truly good and that he will withhold something from me is all it takes to totally uproot my trust in him. And that's the way it is for each of us. Once we stop trusting him, we then do what Adam and Eve did and we eat the fruit. We try to bypass our relationship with him. Have you ever been in a situation where you're about to make a big life transition? You might be needing to move house. You might be starting a new relationship or hoping to start a new relationship. And as you're trying to prayerfully make this decision, you might want to bypass relationship with God because it might be easier to do it in your own strength it might, you might, if God tells me, no, don't move there. No, don't take that job. No, don't enter that relationship. And I really want that thing. Then in my own mind, 
God's not good anymore because if I desire it, then how could God possibly not want me to have it? So let me just bypass my relationship with him and rely on my own strength and rely on my own wisdom in this instance. Does it sound familiar? I can't be the only person who's thought that. Maybe I am. The second trust issue we have is that we don't trust that God is fully able. Somehow, there is this aspect of faith that will last our entire life long that we can never fully understand how God is God and how big God is and how much he is capable of because we so often limit him to boxes that are defined by our experience. Well, I've seen God do X, Y, Z, so I know I can trust God for X, Y, Z, but if God asked me for Omega, <laughs> it's not in English, so I guess that counts as an unknown thing. If he asked me to do something that I've not experienced, I'm going to kind of put it in the box of, well, God's not capable of that. Nope. For example, if I have a broken relationship with a parent, and one day God whispers to you in prayer, he wants to heal your relationship with your mom or your dad. Huh, that's not possible. You know my mom, blah, 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 or you know my dad, blah, 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 blah. But that's only based on the injuries that we have in our heart, the experiences that we've had with them that have seemed insurmountable in the past. And so we might delay, we might go around trying to get out of the situation and rely on our own strength because we simply don't have the faith for it. Abraham and Sarah are a good example of this in Genesis 15 to 16. God promises Abraham that Sarai will bear a son. Sarai, not believing that it would be possible to have a child at her advanced age, tells him to sleep with her servant instead. The result is a broken and strained relationship in the family. But what's interesting is when she gives Abram the instruction to do that, she says, this is after the Lord has delivered the promise. She says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. She relies on her past experience to define the character of God and the validity of his promise. And we so often do that. And so we have to challenge ourselves to say, God is the God of the impossible. We have to share testimonies with one another so that we learn God is capable of doing things I've never seen before so that we can take steps of faith to not rely on ourselves, not rely on our own judgments, but steps of trust that require risk to go, hi, mom, it's been a while. As kind of an aside, there was a moment when I was in college and I thought I had things all together and I kind of did. I was very much a high achieving student. I was morally very proud of my moralness. <laughs> and I 
was expecting that God was just going to open doors for the things that I had planned because I was performing well. And so as I approach graduation, I'm like, well, I'm going to apply to this scholarship that only one in like a thousand people get. And I'm going to get it, and I'm going to go to grad school. Yeah. So I did it. I didn't, I didn't pray about it. I didn't, I didn't even apply to anything else. I applied to this one thing as my only shot. And granted, I wouldn't be able to go to school unless I had a scholarship. And then a month before graduation, I found out that I didn't get the scholarship. You can imagine that I was really confused. How is this possible? I had everything going for me. God was on my side. And then God started to speak about the delay. And God started to speak about why I had to go into a waiting process. And it looked like this. My friend prayed for me. Well, actually, let's take it back two weeks earlier. I went to a conference. About this many people in the room, they were talking about gifts of healing, and they had words of knowledge for people in the room. So they listed off body illnesses, diseases that needed to be healed. And at the very end of the list was a name. Emily? Emily? It's a very common name. It's like, yeah? Nobody else in the room named Emily. So I go up to receive prayer. And they're like, is there anything you need healing for? And I was like, I don't think so. Of course, because here I am living my independent life, thinking everything is okie dokie. And then the woman starts praying for me, and she says, I can see a broken relationship between you and your mom. Do you have a broken relationship with her? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. But she just went for it with faith. She prayed. She prayed for full healing in my relationship with my mother. That was interesting, I thought. And I carried on with my life. And the day as I'm leaving the airport, my friends gather around, give hugs and prayers, bless me as I go back home. And one of my friends lays hands and he goes, Emily, I see a surgeon cutting into your heart. And it's going to be painful, but God is the best surgeon. What kind of send off is that? <laughs> I was really discouraged. So off I go to my home, and as soon as I get home, within the first two weeks, I realize my relationship with my mother was broken, and I had no clue. On my end, everything looked fine. On her end, she was hurt. She felt distant. She felt like we didn't have a relationship anymore. And so then we're in this awful tussle over the next couple of months, trying to work out our differences, trying to reconnect, trying to love and grow. Now, meanwhile, this is going on, and I'm still trying to head towards school or a job or something. Get me out of here, God. And so I'm applying to jobs. This is June, June-ish. I'm applying to jobs, looking around, thinking I'm supposed to go to Korea. And then I decide I'm going to pray about it. So I prayed about it. And God said, you are going to Korea. Cool. And then I prayed about it some more. And God said, you'll get a job on the second week of November. Incredibly specific. But I was like, that's a long time. Be my mom's house. <laughs> but I didn't hear anything else from God. That's all I got. That's all I had to go on. And so we began this process 
Now I'm realizing the prophetic word that my friends and that woman had prayed over me. God cares more about the development of my relationship with her than where I'm going in my future. He's got all of that taken care of. And because most of life is waiting, this is true for most of us. The waiting periods have less to do about God trying to prepare you for that role, although that can be the case, but more to do with building your relationship with him and building your relationship with the people around you because those are the things that you need to take into the next season. So what happens? We start really trying to work on things, get it all together, sort out some unforgiveness issues. And we had a weekend away as a mother-daughter in the last week of October where it was like instant healing. God just, he just solidified the relationship. He just brought full disclosure, vulnerability, joined us together. It was, it was wonderful. And now I was like, now I don't want to leave. And then God was like, remember last week of October, about eight days later, phone call. You have a job in Korea. Can you come in next week? Seven days, pack up my stuff, file all the paperwork, off to Korea I go. Exactly as God said it would happen. Now, who wants to go through that? Why did I have to trust God through that process? Painful, painful, awkward process. Because it taught me a lot about love. It taught me a lot about vulnerability. And that's what God is after in this relationship of learning to rely on him. Now, here's the third trust issue we have. And that is, we don't believe that we are good enough or able enough. It's this weird twisting of the first trust issue that says God is not fully good. Because we fail to believe that God is fully good and we're still in a self-reliance mode, then it starts to become dependent on my performance. If I'm good and doing well, God is going to bless me. Or if I have the wisdom enough and I have the experience enough, I can move into the next season. But again, this is just a twisting of the first trust issue that we don't realize how good God actually is, that God wants to use us where we are, that there is absolutely nothing that can be bigger, no mess up, no mistake, that can be bigger than his grace. Absolutely nothing that can be bigger than his grace. And I had a friend once tell me that because I was afraid to lead a Bible study. What if I say something wrong? She was like, do you think God would trust this Bible study to you because you're going to lead these people astray forever and he can't take care of it? I know. Right. The only thing that's required for us, from us is humility. It's okay to make mistakes. God can use them. God can work all things to the good of his purposes. That we are going to look like Christ. And humility is one of those things. So that if we find that we step out in faith and we mess up, if we rely on God and it doesn't look like what we thought it would, we just humbly come back to him. We humbly go to the people that were involved. And we, we start afresh. Now, some of you 
might have this kind of niggling question in the back of your minds. Emily, you heard really specifically from the Lord about your job. I did. I often do hear very specifically about things. It is not always a blessing to hear specifically about things because they are years down the road and then I am in the tension of waiting for years. And some of us will then start to ask ourselves in the period of waiting, did I really hear God? Is that what he actually said to me? And it's in those moments, if he's not saying anything else, then yes, he said those things. But again, he cares more about you learning to rely on him, his character, relationship with him, relationship with others, then getting to the next thing he told you about. Hmm. I think this final struggle of, of did I really hear God is, well, it catches up a lot of Christians. But the fact of the matter is, if we are desiring to be in the will of God, if we're relying on him for the path that our lives are on and for the fullness and joy of relationship with him, if we are relying on him because we want to live for his glory, God is more eager to communicate it to us than we are to hear it from him. There is no way that you're going to go without knowing what his will is if that's where your heart is. And this is why John 15 is so crucial, because when we're abiding in him, when we're in a love relationship with him, when we're leaning on him, our wills knit together. Because we realize how good he is, and then we just want more of him, and so we say, I'll do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you go. I'll take any risk. Because every time I do it, I learn more about you, and I get you closer. And we become desiring of that more and more. And so it's all in God's hands to speak to us, to direct us. And it's not really so much about how keen my ears are as to how surrendered is my heart? How surrendered is my love? So here is the good news, the very good news. God is good. He's better than we expect. He is able beyond what we can possibly imagine. And he is so good, he enjoys helping and partnering with immature people like you and me. And that's really important. God is really good. And for us to know as well that immaturity is not rebellion. They are different things. Immaturity is learning through a lifelong process to rely on God and will always be challenged. Every time we think we've got it, we'll come to a new challenge that teaches us to rely on him in a new way and helps us discover a new facet of how good he is, a new facet of his character. And so, we cannot judge ourselves by the weakness of this moment. 
because this is just this moment and God is capable by his grace of leading us beyond this moment into his presence, into victory over sin, into the next season. And the question comes, why would he want to use me? Because partnership deepens relationship. If I haven't already made that clear, that's all he's after. Partnership that deepens the revelation of who he is. Leaning on him so that we are in the fullness of joy. That John 15 passage talks about that abiding in him is for us so that we would experience the fullness of joy. So how do we outgrow self-reliance? Well, as we overcome the lies of those trust issues I mentioned, we start trusting God. And trusting God, we commit ourselves to his ways, and we commit ourselves to prayer. We can pray lots of things, praying to ask for help to walk in his ways. God, enable me to want what you want. Enable me to desire your will. Enable me to desire your glory. We can pray and ask for wisdom, which God is always willing to give to anyone who asks. And then we simply remain in God's love. One of the really insidious things in our culture about self-reliance is self-love. Love yourself is really popular these days. And I fundamentally disagree with it because I am a broken person Thus, the love I give myself is also broken. It's blind to things and injuries I have that I'm not aware of. I can't completely love myself. What we really need is to know the fullness of love in Christ that God has sent for me. And if God can love me through Christ, then heck, I don't need to love myself. His love is enough. And then the second part, if we are in this love, the knowledge of the love of God, this is Ephesians 4, and hopefully get to preach on Ephesians 4 sometime in the near future. That if we are in the love of God, the other part that teaches us not to rely on ourselves is relying on his body. Those times when you feel like you can't hear him, those times when you feel like he's far away, the times when you are confused, the times when you feel too weak. His body is an expression of him. We are here to love you. This is a safe place where you can struggle, you can be weak, you can fail, and there's grace for you. We're not here to judge you or beat you up. We're here to lift you up and encourage you and speak truth to you and send you on your way. James 1.9 says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. And as I read that verse, I'm reminded that every time I resist vulnerability in confessing my struggles or sins to someone, I resist love. I resist the knowledge of love flowing to me through someone from the body, showing in a tangible way that he loves me, that he's gonna keep walking with me. And at the same time I resist that love, 
I also deny someone else the opportunity to grow in love and to learn how to show grace and to learn how to build up and to learn to seek truth together. And so vulnerability is really essential. I'll tell you one other story before I close because one of my favorites. I used to be in a college ministry and God did crazy things with our college students because we only had them for three months. They were exchange students. They went back after three months. And we hoped that we had done enough for them to pursue God with all their heart. But these students, at the end of the semester, we'd have a conference, we'd have altar calls, and we would blast them with the Holy Spirit. Well, we would, and God would come, and he would blast them with himself. And they sobbed at the altar. There was no fear of vulnerability because they were so wracked by the love of God, they weren't even aware of their surroundings. And one of my jobs, if I wasn't praying for people, was to carry around the tissue box. <laughs> and every time I spotted someone crying, usually they're like, <laughs> and I would just kind of tuck a tissue up into their hand until they felt it. Sometimes they didn't feel it right away because they were just so lost in God. It was like, hello. <laughs> and sometimes there was one occasion where someone was just like just experiencing full deliverance from whatever it is that they were going through. Their eyes were closed, their hands were open, receiving, and there was a big piece of snot, just <laughs> about five, six inches, just hanging. And I was like, I love the church. Pulled out my tissue, walked right over and just caught that baby right up. <laughs> they had no clue, they had no clue, and I loved it. We should feel free to be that vulnerable in this place because there's no judgment here. We're all on a journey of knowing God. We're all on a journey of relying on him, relying on one another. We don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to be ashamed of what it looks like because we try to do it on our own. Sometimes what we're struggling with is sin and we've tried to take care of it on our own and we feel ashamed about bringing it to the light, but we don't have to be. We've all been there. And so today, this is my exhortation. Let us strive to rely on God and to rely on one another and stop trying to rely on ourselves, to resist everything in our culture that tells us to figure it out on our own, to do things in our own strength or to do things in our own way because it's not worth it. It burns us out. It's tiring. It doesn't produce fruit or Christian maturity.